0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Moonshot Podcast. This episode is a solo episode of just me, because right now I'm pretty riled up with uh, what's been going on since uh, last week, and what has been going on is a lot of banking issues. If you've been paying attention to the news, there's been a few banks that have gone insolvent or are having solvency issues boy, this just really, frankly, pisses me off. Uh, we are seeing a potential 2008 collapse, potentially. Some people are saying that not sure if that would really happen. Um, but things are not looking that great and that scares me and kind of wanted to, to dive into that a little bit. Um, So we have Silvergate Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank, all either having solvency issues or have completely gone insolvent. Um, And the biggest one is Silicon Valley Bank, who is a huge tech bank. They provide or they work with a lot of tech companies in California and across the country. And... Friday, they went solvent. There was a lot of rumors going around that they were having solvency issues. And so there was a run on the bank. And a run on a bank is a strange thing. In my last episode with my cousin, Kenny, check that out. It's a good episode. We talk about basketball and Bitcoin. But a run on the bank happens when people get scared and they run to the bank to pull out their cash because of fear or rumors that the bank is gonna collapse. Why would a bank even collapse in the first place? Why would there be a run on the bank that may even trigger a collapse? It's because of a thing called fractional reserve banking. Some people think it's a beautiful thing. I'm sure the Fed think it's a beautiful thing because it makes the Fed People in power, bankers, Wall Street makes them all richer. Fractional reserve banking is a system where banks are only required to keep a small amount of cash on hand. And usually it's just a percentage of the total amount of money that they are working with or dealing with. So if, for example, somebody makes a $100 deposit, the bank probably will only keep $10. Or less of that $100 deposit. And then the bank loans out the remainder of that $100. So if they keep $10, they'll loan out the $90 to borrowers. This is how banks make money. And if you keep it in a savings account, you might get, oh, if you're lucky, half a percent interest on your savings account which half a percent interest, you're not even keeping up with inflation for one month in these days. It's a great thing. So uh, banks just loan out your money. And so they don't have that on hand. Depending on the bank, they may have a hundred thousand dollars in cash, a couple hundred thousand dollars. If they're a really big bank, you know, maybe they have a million. I'm not sure. When I was an undergrad, worked at a small credit union and we only had about $120,000 in cash on hand every day. And if a lot of people came and pulled cash out, we had to order new cash to be brought to our bank from the Fed. I wasn't the one ordering the cash. That was my um, office manager, the branch manager who handled that. But the Fed bringing in the cash on armored trucks, however much it was, 40000 50000 even less, um, and that would take a few days. And so during Christmas time, we'd order more cash to be put into our reserves because we knew that people around Christmas time like to give cash as gifts. So bank run, people will go and pull cash out of their accounts through because of fear of stuff that's going on economically. Or stuff that's going on with the bank. This is what happened with Silicon Valley Bank over the weekend. <sighs> yeah, it. Uh, <clears throat> to me, it's a scam, and a lot of people will tell you it's a scam. It's just fairy dust out there in the air. It. it there, there's nothing to it. And there's nothing to it because there's nothing backing. One, our dollar, and two, our banking system. So, fractional reserve banking, uh, as banks are loaning it out, it essentially creates new money out of thin air. It's just moving numbers around from bank to bank. So, one person, the person that, going back to our example, deposits $100, the bank will only have, keep 10 of that dollars in their reserves. And then that same person can take that $100 and move it to a different bank. But that different bank is just receiving, essentially, fake money. Because the first bank has already loaned that money out. So it essentially just creates new money, money that they don't actually have. It's not really there. This happens every single day with every single bank because it's a way for banks to just make more money. (sighs) It's the greatest Ponzi scheme the face of the earth. In my opinion, this is not financial advice. It's just crazy to me that banks and our officials, regulators, allow this to even happen. This hurts the small guy, the small person, me and you, everyday people. And this just puts more money into the pockets of rich billionaires, bankers, Wall Street bankers, politicians and the lobbyists who fund these politicians. So I guess on one hand, fractional reserve banking is kind of a double-edged sword when things are all fine and dandy, you know, nobody cares. Anybody can get a loan, but that's also an issue. And that's what happened in 2008 market was booming 2007. Everybody was getting a mortgage, housing prices were hot home rates were going up, our home prices were going up. Everybody was getting a mortgage loan, people that shouldn't have qualified for a mortgage loan. That's why we had a crash because banks were giving out subprime mortgages. They weren't backed by anything. You have to have a mortgage that's backed by something. And so when these people who shouldn't have had a loan, they started defaulting on their loans, on their mortgages. It caused a chain reaction and these subprime mortgages burst the housing bubble. We had a financial market crash. We had a financial crisis. We're seeing something similar now. Fed pumped so much money into the economy with the stimulus checks, creating inflation. And now we're seeing the Fed try to reel in inflation by Drastically increasing rate hikes. I'm not smart enough to explain how that affects everyday people like me and you, but people are struggling. They're struggling financially. My grocery bill has gone up something like 50 to 75% since a year ago. It's crazy. The vast majority of people live paycheck to paycheck these people just keep getting richer while you and I keep getting poorer and poorer. So this morning, another bank, signature bank, is having solvency issues. And these banks, uh, they are related to crypto and cryptocurrency. They deal with or work with cryptocurrency companies. The government doesn't like crypto. It doesn't like Bitcoin because it gives power back to the people. But this is why I love Bitcoin, because you know how many Bitcoin are out there. You know where every single Bitcoin is moved. You can trace it back. If you're smart enough, or I guess I should say, if you you want to take the time to really figure it out, you can follow a single Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin, and you can see how it has moved across the blockchain for years, decades. It's all out there everybody can see it. The entire world can see it if they want to. You can't do that with a bank. The bank can do whatever shady stuff they want and they will always get away with it. Not one person was fined or prosecuted from the 2008 financial collapse. Not one person. These bankers and regulators caused the financial collapse in 2008 and they're causing it again now. And will anybody be punished? No. 2014, there was a guy named Charlie Shrem. Uh, 2013, maybe. Charlie was a super smart guy in his early 20s. He started a cryptocurrency exchange. And allegedly, Charlie, allegedly, Charlie and another guy, um, where were we? kind of working together. And this other guy, I believe his name is Robert. Let me double check this. Robert Faella. So Charlie ran a cryptocurrency exchange where he was selling Bitcoin. People could go to this exchange, bid instant, Exchange their U.S. dollars for Bitcoin. And this other guy, Robert Faella, we'll just call him Robert because I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. He was buying Bitcoin and then he was selling it on his own exchange. And this exchange was kind of like dark web exchange. Wasn't regulated by anything. And he was selling Bitcoin to people directly to people who are using that Bitcoin to buy illicit drugs on what is called the Silk Road. That could be a whole another podcast episode about what the Silk Road is. There's a lot of YouTube videos. They've even made a uh, Hollywood movie about it. It's a fascinating story about a dark web website where people could buy and sell drugs using Bitcoin. They couldn't trace the website because it's on the dark web people use bitcoin because it's much 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 harder to trace who it is going to and from so this robert guy was knowingly selling bitcoin to people who were using that bitcoin to buy drugs charlie shrem it is alleged that charlie knew that this robert guy was buying bitcoin from charlie and then selling that bitcoin to people uh, doing illegal things. Allegedly, Charlie pleads guilty. And to my understanding, uh, my belief, uh, he uh, is under house arrest for a few years. He might've gotten to prison. I should probably double check that. What's crazy to me Charlie didn't sell it directly to anybody who went and bought drugs with that Bitcoin. He sold it to another one guy. And then that guy sold Bitcoin to people who he knew were going to use that Bitcoin to buy drugs. If you watch movies, if you watch shows, you know, most drug deals are done in cash. Banks know that their ATMs, when people pull cash out, banks know that that cash is going to be used to buy drugs. And are banks ever punished? Are banks ever prosecuted? No. So make it right what Charlie did? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Charlie knew what he was doing or not, selling Bitcoin to this Robert guy. Charlie knows you and I don't know. The FBI says they know and they say Charlie knew. But even so, what's the difference between Charlie knowing that his Bitcoin is going to be used to eventually be used to buy drugs and the money that comes out of an ATM being used to go buy drugs? Banks, bankers, Wall Street, those in power are never punished for what they do, even if they know it's going to hurt people. And that has to change. We have to hold these people accountable because it is you and I that is hurt from it. The people at the top, they keep getting richer. They keep getting more powerful. And that's why they don't like Bitcoin. That is why they don't like cryptocurrencies because it gives power to, Back to the individual, back to people like me and you. There's 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. You can't change it. You send a transaction. I send Bitcoin to my brother, Ben. Everybody in the whole world can see that transaction. If they know our corresponding wallet addresses a Bitcoin wallet address is a combination of letters and numbers that range from 24 to, I believe, 35 numbers and letters, characters. So there's no identity tied to your wallet address. So I have Bitcoin. You won't know how much Bitcoin I have unless you know my specific wallet address. But you can go on the Bitcoin blockchain and look up every single transaction that happens in real time all the way back to 2009 when Satoshi Nakamoto sent the first Bitcoin transaction. I have a a bank that I use and most banks, uh, they spend millions if not billions of dollars a year on cybersecurity because people are always trying to hack the bank billions of dollars. Because it is a centralized server that holds all the information, all the software, all the code for your money, for my money. Those servers go down, bye-bye money. With Bitcoin, you can't hack it. You would have to nuke every computer around the entire world before the Bitcoin blockchain would go down. And even then. You know, I don't know, I'm not a uh, technology expert, but even if every single computer were destroyed, I'm sure the Bitcoin blockchain could be brought back Let's bring back computers. If your bank goes down, servers are destroyed, there's a hack, can't bring back that money. Unless of course, uh, FDIC insurance comes into play. So I think what uh, what's going on now is the federal government or the, the Fed, excuse me, um, said that these bank collapses that happened over the weekend will be made whole and depositors will receive their money back through FDIC insurance, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, your money is fully Um, guaranteed up to $200,000 per depositor up to $200,000. So if you have more than that, well, you're out of luck. But why do we even need FDIC insurance? That's right. Because we have fractional reserve banking and the bank is loaning out your money to make themselves money. Some people are okay with that. Most people are okay with it, are okay with it when things are fine, when there's no problems. But when you turn on the money printer for three years and print trillions of dollars, you create economic instability. And then you have one run on a bank and that's the first domino to fall. Anyway, folks, just really angers me, and I want to fight back because I'm tired of the rich and the powerful getting away with whatever they want, and whatever they want harms me and you. Bitcoin fixes this. The government knows this. That's why they don't like it. They can't stop Bitcoin, though. They'll try to stop other cryptocurrencies. I don't think they'll succeed. But they're going to try. Bitcoin is decentralized. Hundreds of thousands of computers around the world keep that Bitcoin network going. It is open. Anybody can look at it. Anybody can see it. can't change it can't change the transaction once the transaction is sent you can't unsend it there's no fraud claim some for some people that's scary because it's totally different from how our current system is but to me it just puts power back into the individual forces the individual to become more responsible responsible with their time and their money. Anyway, I just had to get on here tonight because I'm all riled up. And when I talk about this with my wife, she just rolls her eyes at me because she thinks it's boring. (laughs) I'm in hot water now. Anyway. Got a few episodes lined up next week and the week after that I'm really excited for. All of you that are listening, thank you so much. <clears throat> I get uh details of how many people have listened to my podcast. People have listened to my podcast all over the country. It blows my mind. I got people in New York City, Ohio, New Mexico. I don't even know people that are living in these states, and y'all are listening to my podcast means the world to me i really appreciate it because i never thought random people would ever listen to to me rant on the interwebs anyway next week i'll have more for you thank you again thank you for me thank you for listening to me rant about banks and bitcoin once again